for the team that comes up and sacrifices and serves us, bringing us to the throne, aren't you? I'm also full because from the 1st of January, Wednesday, until yesterday, I was with 14 other people, 13 of the young people from the well ministry, Andy and myself, were in Kansas City for a missions conference with Pastor Sam Miles, and, and it was called Missions Focus 14, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, man, God just really spoke to our hearts in a great way, and just some amazing things to just crystallize and reinforce, man, God's ultimate vision of just reaching the world, which is ultimately the, the, the core of all vision that God would give to anybody, and so it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, my body's a little tired, you know. It's been, there's been some long days and long nights, but um, wow, it was, just a, it was just a great deal. And I always try and start off the year with you with, with, a, with a vision, uh, a refocus on who we are and where we are and where we've come from and that sort of a thing. And, um, you know, every year I try to select a specific passage of Scripture, verse or two, that I believe God is showing me that will kind of chart the course, what, the kind of the way I see uh, this church progressing and continuing to go forward. And uh, you might remember, and if you were with us last week on Sunday night, I kind of did a, a 2013 year in review last week on Sunday night for Lord's Supper service and um, reminded you that the verse that I had selected for last year was in James 1.22 where it talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves and and as we come into 2014 I, I I of course wanted to save the verses that I believe God's given to us for this year for today and that's really what I want us to look at today and so if you have your Bibles please open them to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we're going to look at two verses specifically and that's going to be the focus that we have walking through this today 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 If you'll follow along, I'll just read it for us. It says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And so with this kind of thought in mind, I've been praying and and looking and trying to determine uh, what God wants for us going forward. I, I, I literally, I'm so thankful. I really am for all that God has done in my life and our church's life over the last five years that I've been here. I really have seen a lot of great progress and strides. A lot of people have made huge steps in their lives. I mean, it's not always been easy. Uh, it never is. When you grow, you know, the, the expression having growing pains uh, is there for a reason. Uh, sometimes it, it, it hurts a little to do that, but man, God has done things, and I truly believe our church is stronger than it has ever been before. And as a result, um, I think that we are purged. We are, on a, we are right in the place we need to be to really run forward. And, and that's really what I have in mind as we walk through these two verses, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk through these two verses. I'm going to explain all that stuff to you the way I see it. So before we do that, let's just pray that God would be our teacher and we'll jump right into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have these two verses of Scripture before us, obviously it launches us into a whole lot of other places where your word confirms this message. But that is my prayer for today. My prayer, Lord, is that you would give us all vision. As we begin a new year, it really is a great time on the calendar every year just to kind of hit the reset button. 
It's a time when we take stock of ourselves, our lives, our habits, our choices, our past, our failures, our successes, whatever it might be, and we kind of hit the reset button. And we decide what we want to do moving forward. I'm so thankful that year after year, more and more people are pushing the right button and they're following you. Uh, I pray that today would be the beginning of a, of a groundswelling of people who will just rise up and say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. That we, as a result of the things that you will teach us, not only today, but moving forward through this year, that we will respond in humility and, and, and sacrifice and selflessness and, above all, faith to your word. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that you would not just give us some information, but that you would change our lives. I pray for people who are here and maybe just not even sure what this Jesus thing is all about, that today it would become clear. And I pray for all that are here that would know you as Savior, but maybe they haven't been walking with you. Maybe you're really not the Lord of their life every day. That today would be the day that they would decide, you know what, I'm tired of that. I want to follow you because that's the only life that matters. God, I'm full. I really, really am. And I, and I pray that you would just use these words to touch lives. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, the first point that I want us to see is really going to focus just on verse number 20. And what we want to do is we want to look at this illustration that Paul uses. And so what we're going to do is we're going to define those terms. So we're going to define the illustration. That's, that's in your outline. We're going to define this illustration. The illustration is that in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, if you're going to totally understand the lesson that God wants to have for us, and that'll come a little bit later, okay, you have to first understand the illustration. You have to understand just a little bit about the history of the times in which Paul lived in the first century and the audience that he's writing to. You have to understand just a little bit about their manner of life so that when he would have used this illustration of a great house, that it would have clicked in their mind immediately what he was talking about. So let's talk about it just a little bit historically. Because in that first century, you have to understand, y'all, seriously, if you don't think about this every so often, you do yourself a disservice. But you need to understand that life, a couple thousand years ago, obviously, was a whole lot simpler than life today. I mean, it really was, generally across the board, a very simplistic life. They did not have all of the technological advancements that we have. Therefore, all of you here, I venture to say without fear of being wrong, that all of you here today live a better, more comfortable, luxurious life than the richest man back then. I mean, you really have blessings in abundance around you because of the development of the world. And so because of all of these things that we have, sometimes it's hard to go back and really grasp what it was like back then. So again, just very briefly and from a historical setting, if there was a man who had a great house, okay, that expression would not just mean that it was very large, that he had a large, although it probably would be large, because a great house would mean great not only in its size, but also in its function. Basically, it would be talking about the household of somebody who was very wealthy. So they would have a large house, yes, but their house would have amenities that other normal average folk houses would not have, okay? And among these amenities, they would have vessels to do different functions. And so in that house, they would have elaborate vessels that would be gold, made of gold and maybe gold-plated, maybe solid gold, and vessels of silver. And typically those vessels that would be very precious metals would be on display. They're beautiful, they're precious, they're valuable. 
And they would use those vessels to serve food and drink and things as such as that. So if they would have guests over, they would bring out these precious golden and silver vessels and they would serve the meals and the food and the water and the wine or whatever it might be and they would serve them in these elaborate, beautiful vessels, okay? But they would also then have vessels that would be wood or earth or clay and those would be vessels that would be used for more menial tasks, okay? Some might be used for gathering trash, some might be used for human waste. And, 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 you know, again, I'm not trying to be too graphic, but it, there would not be indoor plumbing, okay? And rather than, you know, excusing yourself outside, there would be indoor facilities, which would be a luxury for only a great house back in that time. And so some vessels would be used for very honorable uses, and some vessels would be used for dishonorable Uses And that would be exi- existing only in houses that were considered great, people of great wealth, people who had great abundance, that had all of these facilities available to them inside their home. That's the picture, okay, just very quickly. That's the historical picture. You got that? You got to get that. Keep that picture in your mind. Because now we're going to make some spiritual applications and we're going to talk a little bit about define. again, we're defining the illustration We're going to get to the application in a minute. We're going to define what all these terms mean. So we're going to do a little Bible study, and we're going to go term by term and walk through this so that you understand what God, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, within the context of that culture, was trying to say to them, and therefore what he's trying to say to us. The first thing we're going to define is a great house. And so we start doing some Bible study and talking about some houses that are great houses. And the first place we're going to look at is John chapter 14 and verse number 2. And in John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ, talking to his disciples, says this. He says that in my Father's house are many mansions. So Jesus Christ talks about how his Father has a house. Would you not agree that God's house would be a great house, the greatest of all houses ever, right? And so when Jesus is referring to God's house, okay, then Jesus is referring to, in that particular context, he's talking about a a celestial home. Okay, there's many mansions. If I go, I'll come back and receive you and take you where I am. And so Jesus is talking about a celestial house. He's talking about a heavenly home. He's talking about ultimately our destination. We think, man, that's awesome. I cannot wait to go there. We receive Christ because we want to go there. And that's awesome. But let's go on and continue to define it biblically. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, God defines for us, for us that the house of God is the church of the living God. I want you to understand that God's house extends beyond the context or the boundaries of heaven itself, but it extends to our life here and now on planet earth. As God says, my house, God's house, is literally the church. We're God's house, and that's an important thing. Uh, If you went to Hebrews chapter 3, and verse number six. And we're going through these fairly quickly, but I'm just giving you some Bible definitions. It's a little Bible study using the word house, household, some of those kind of things. And it talks about how Jesus Christ is the head over his house. And it goes on and it says, whose house are we? And so literally, when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, I think you understand that in this church, almost everybody, especially if you come here regularly, you understand that when we talk about the church, We don't really talk about the bricks and the mortar and the building with the pillars out front and the steeple on the roof and all that kind. We're not talking about that. 
we're talking about the people. We are the church of the living God. You see that? And so the great house is God's house. God's house is not only heavenly, God's house is currently also earthly. It is the church, and when it's talking about the church, it's talking literally about the believers. It's talking about the people that make up the church. In other places in the scripture, like in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, it says that we are the, literally we, believers, are the household of God. Uh, If you went to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10, it calls us the household of faith. Obviously, how do we enter into God's household? By faith. And so that's who we are, okay? That's who we are, referring to the believers. Now, so if you want a definition of the great house biblically, we are defining what a great house is. If you want to write down a definition, write this down. It is the corporate body of believers in Jesus Christ. It's the corporate body of believers. I didn't put it on the notes. You just got to write it down. Or you don't have to write it down. The corporate body of believers in Jesus Christ. So Paul is using an illustration, a physical illustration that would have been clear in the minds of the people of that time. In a great house, there are many vessels. Okay, so let's define the great house. It's us. It's us. The corporate body of believers in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to define what's a vessel. Well, There's several places we could look at. We'll just look at a few of them. In Acts chapter 9 and verse number 15. In Acts chapter 9, we have the story of Saul of Tarsus. And you remember Saul of Tarsus was the guy who persecuted the church until ultimately he has this miraculous salvation experience on the road to Damascus. And Saul gets saved. He ultimately becomes the Apostle Paul. Okay, his name is changed to Paul. But Saul, when he is saved at his salvation, he hears this voice from heaven and and. God is speaking to Ananias as he wants to go and pray for him. He becomes blind and the scales need to fall from his eyes. And he says, go unto him. Don't be afraid because he is a chosen, what is it? Vessel unto me. So the life of Saul of Tarsus, soon to be the greatest Christian, missionary, human, outside of Jesus Christ, that the world has ever known. God says he is a chosen, and interestingly uses the word, vessel unto me. Uh, Last week, if you were with us on Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Miguel came and shared with us from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse number 7, it talking about us, the believers, says, we have this treasure, the Holy Spirit of God, the life of God himself. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, okay, that the excellency of the glory may be of Christ, may be of God, not of ours. And so, the earthen vessels, literally, it's our body, it, it, our body is a clay pot. Uh, you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2 when God formed Adam. How did he form the body? He formed his body from the dust of the earth. It's an earthen vessel, and the vessel is holding something. The thing that it's holding is a great treasure. It's holding Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's wonderful. So the vessel, literally, it's, it's our body. It's our flesh. It comes from the dust of the earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 4 There's a specific application about holiness, but it says that every one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. That you wouldn't give your body over to sinful, lustful behavior, but that you would possess or guard or protect your vessel, your body. It is your body. It is your flesh. It is your life. And so, so the definition of a vessel, 
okay? What is a vessel? Well, if the great house is the corporate body of believers, the vessel is any individual believer. So it makes sense, right? In a great house, body of corporate body of believers, there are many individual vessels. And here we have a great illustration. Just look around the room. We are a great house, and there are many individual vessels. And it says that some of these vessels will be unto honor, and some of them will be unto dishonor. Remember the illustration. So let's talk about that. The honor, obviously, it's compared with gold and silver. So what are some of the things that bring God honor? What are some of the things? And, and we could do, listen, we could spend the whole time just pulling out scriptures and giving us an, a list of the things that bring honor to God. Because these are vessels that we belong to the Lord. And we are to be used for his honor and for his glory. I pulled out just a few for your example from the book of Proverbs because it's just so full of richness that Proverbs was enough. And the first thing I want to see is in Proverbs 8 and verse number 18. And it's, and it's all about wisdom. Uh, if you have a life full of wisdom, by the way, we didn't pull it for you, but in verse number 12, if you go back in the context a little bit before verse 18, it, it takes wisdom. It says, I wisdom. And wisdom is personified as though wisdom is a person. Okay? And it says, you know, that, that wisdom then, um, it says, I dwell with prudence in verse number 12, and it goes on. And then it goes on all the way down those verses after that, referring to that personification of wisdom until it gets to num- verse number 18, where it says that riches and honor are with me. Who's me? Who's it referring to? It's referring to wisdom from verse number 12. So wisdom honors God. Where do we get wisdom from? We get wisdom from the Word of God, okay? So it's a life that's devoted to the Word of God. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33, it says, before honor is the prerequisite, humility. It's humility. And so a life that is void of pride, a life that does not just seek its own or exalt itself, a life that is humble and submissive brings honor. It brings honor. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number three, it says that it's an honor to cease from strife. Strife, fighting, quarreling, bickering, arguing. Every fool will be meddling, it goes on and says. So it's an honor to cease from that. It's an honor to be a man of peace. It's an honor to be somebody who does not fight for their own rights. Hey, you can't do that to me. I have. Okay, and and it's natural for us to do that, but he says, wow, you want to bring honor to God? Then you won't be a person who does that. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 21. It talks about he that follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. So you follow righteousness. You pursue it. It becomes the pursuit of your life. You don't pursue your career. You don't pursue money. You don't pursue women or men or friends or power or position. You pursue righteousness, and it brings God honor. These are the kinds of things that bring God honor. These are how, these are the ways that God defines for us 
how any individual vessel within a great house can be a vessel unto honor. Unto dishonor, likened to wood or earth. What are some of the things that bring God dishonor? Well, we talked about how the vessel um, being something that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We talked about how it dealt with our physical bodies. That's kind of what we see. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter that deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then ultimately our resurrection, and it kind of wraps up with this discourse that talks about how we'll be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, and death will be swallowed up in victory, and it talks about how our mortal bodies will be changed into a glorious body, and in verse 43, literally referring to our physical bodies, it says that it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. So our physical bodies, as we have inherited them from birth, okay, it is sown in dishonor, literally our flesh. Our fleshly lives are dishonoring. They're not honoring to God. There's nothing in your fleshly life, with all due respect, mine either, by the way, that is honoring to the Lord at all. And so our flesh brings dishonor. We see that over and over again in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 24 it's a discourse that talks about different sins and things that bring dishonor to God. And it talks about the uncleanness through the lusts of their hearts and how they dishonor their own bodies between themselves. It's, it's the lust of the flesh. It, it is the way that we sometimes allow ourselves or we see people allow themselves to behave in a way that is just to satisfy or feed the lustful personal prideful desires of our own flesh and it's dishonoring because the flesh is dishonoring Uh, if we looked in proverbs chapter 6 verses 32 and 33 it talks about adultery and that would be dishonoring certainly to the lord it says whoso committeth adultery you know he lacks understanding he gets to himself a wound and dishonor that's what he says And so these are fleshly activities. These are things that feed our flesh, not the spirit. These are things that maybe we honor our own personal sinful desires, but not God. And so that would be an individual vessel within the great house that potentially is then dishonorable in its usage. Physical sin, by the way, if we took the time to look the references up and and spend a more exhaustive study, is repeated over and over and over and over in this issue of dishonoring. It's obvious that that's the case. I just gave you one because it's enough. So how do we summarize all this? Let me just summarize it this way. God has a great house of believers, each individually carrying out some function. Some are honoring God, and others are dishonoring to God. God has a great house of believers, each individually carrying out some function. Some of them are carrying out honor to God and others dishonor. That's the illustration. Okay, we're going we're gonna to jump into the application. That's the, that's the message. That's the word. That's how God has defined the terms that Paul used in that illustration. Okay, you ready to go on? Let's now determine the application 
Let's determine the application, our second point. Verse number 21 is our second point. So the illustration comes in verse 20. Verse number 21, we're going to apply it now. If a man, therefore, it's going to tell us what to do, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, obviously, we desire to be vessels of honor, right? We desire to be used for God's honor, not for the opposite. So the question is, how do we do that? And that's exactly what we're going to see. And the first thing that we're going to see in how to become vessels of honor, right, that's what we're talking about, is to be purged. It's to be purged. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. So how are we going to apply this to our lives? It says we need to be purged. If a man therefore purge himself. So the word purge literally just means to be cleansed, okay? It just means to be cleansed. Uh, there's some references that I'm going to give you to kind of define that for you, some biblical uses. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 9, it, refer, it uses that word purge where it talks about how we in our lives as Christians, we were purged from our old sins. We were purged from our old sins. If we look at it from Christ's perspective in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, it talks about Jesus saying, when he had by himself purged our sins... He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus Christ, by himself, did the work of purging out sin from our lives in the act of salvation. When every one of you, if, if you have received the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have repented of your sins and confessed them to him and cried out to him and asked him to save you of your sins, what he did at that moment of faith is that Jesus Christ purged out your sins. That's what salvation's all about. It's not something that you do. It's something that he does. You just say, yes, Lord, I want that. Please give me that free gift of eternal life. And that's awesome. But that's not the context of 2 Timothy. I, I gave you those references to give you the idea of what purging is all about. But understand this. In 2 Timothy, it's a different context. Uh, before we get into that, I want to give you one more reference. Malachi chapter 3. And verse number three, it's the last book of your Old Testament. In Malachi 3, it's talking about Jesus Christ at his coming. That's the context of this passage. And it says, and he, talking about Jesus, shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them, there's that word, as gold and silver. That's the good illustration because we want to be vessels unto honor and vessels unto honor are gold and silver, see? And he will purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. If you look in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 5, it talks about how the dross is purged from the gold and the silver. When it's heated up, the dross rises to the top. They scoop it off the top. And what's left is very pure, refined gold and silver. The word purging, again, is used for that. That's really what we're talking about. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 21, it says, If a man therefore be purged, no, if a man therefore purge himself. So now, okay, in salvation, Jesus did all the purging, hallelujah. But in our sanctification, in our continuing walk with him, y'all, he wants us to purge ourselves. It's not a matter of forgiveness of sins. We couldn't do that if we wanted to. But you know what we can do? You know what we have the power to do, y'all? 
make good choices. You know what? God has given to you a great gift. It's called free will. And you can choose to sin. And God will let you. And you can choose to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. And that's what he wants. That's what he desires. And he cries out to you and he says, if a man therefore, understanding the illustration, will purge himself from these, he'll be a vessel unto honor. In Proverbs 16 and verse number 6, it says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Who's doing the acting? It's the men. Men depart. They decide and they do it. Remember the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tried to catch him and lie with him and he ran, he fled. In fact, if we went back to 2 Timothy, it goes right on in the context in verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. Run from it. Purge yourself from these influences. That's what he's saying. If a man purge himself, see, he'll be a vessel unto honor. Well, it says if he'll purge himself from these. So we have to understand exactly what it is he's talking about when he says from these. What does these refer to? Well, certainly it's talking about sinful behavior, right? I mean, we just have been talking about that. Certainly you purge from your life, vessel, sinful behavior. You, you purge from your life dishonoring behavior, right? Uh, we are going to be cranking up here this month a brand new Bible book study in 2014, and I'm going to be walking you through the letter written to the Romans. And so we will be studying the book of Romans off and on, for a long time, a long time. It probably took us 20 months to go through the Gospel of John. I don't know how long. There's 21 chapters in John. I mean, we're going to 16 chapters in Romans. Um, Action-packed, full of stuff, okay? So we'll take it in sections. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through a section. We'll take a break. We'll jump into another section, okay? We're going to be walking through Romans in 2014. Romans 1, 2, and 3, if you're not already familiar with it, deal specifically with sin and just proves the case beyond a shadow of a doubt about how wicked and sinful we are as human beings. Now, the context of Romans 1, 2, and 3 literally is building a case for every human being to understand how sinful he or she is so that they will get saved, okay? And we will make application to our lives also because certainly there will be application to be made, okay? But the idea is this, as we go through Romans, and you'll see, but, but the idea is this. There, there is sin everywhere because we're human beings and our flesh exists and flesh is wicked and evil and it brings dishonor unto God. And we are helplessly lost before a holy and righteous God and Although that context directly is man needing salvation, certainly sin is a huge hindrance. And can I just tell you that I believe that the biggest hindrance to our church moving forward and really making a difference in this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is carnality. At the end of the day, people who fight and argue and complain and keep their distance and refuse to jump in and pull together with us who who don't serve, who don't pray, who don't give, who don't love, who don't care, are just carnal. They're just selfish. They're just full of themselves. And I'm not picking on any individual. I'm just telling you the state of life in general. Carnality will keep you from honoring God. It's your flesh. Again, it goes back to the definition. And the only thing that keeps us from just, I mean, setting the woods on fire for Jesus with the gospel is people are carnal. And you know what we're going to need to do? We're going to need to purge that carnality out. Now, I can't purge yours, and you can't purge mine. If a man purge himself, though, what happens is, is that in this great house, we'll have more and more and more vessels of honor and less and less and less of dishonor. And, and I'm thankful because there is an ever-growing number of those. There really is. And I am excited about what God is doing, but I believe he wants us to do even more. And, and quite frankly, there's just too many people who continue to cling onto their personal selfish desires. And, and when you do that, you, you may be kidding others. You may be kidding yourself. I don't know. You may be a hearer of the word only, like it said in James, deceiving your own self. I don't know. But if you can't be a doer of the word, if you can't purge yourself, if you can't say no to sin and make some wise choices and literally decide that you might have to actually change your schedule, you may have to reassess your budget, you may have to just make some choices and say no to some other things so that you have the time and the opportunity and the resources to say yes to God. If you can't do that, then you're going to struggle with carnality. And the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and all these different things that come into our life, they don't have to just play out in the most obvious evil ways of immorality and some of those kind of things. Sometimes it's just covetousness, which the Bible calls idolatry. Sometimes they're just things that are just, we're just full of ourselves. We, we think of ourselves first. It's me first. It's my rights. And what happens is, is you fill your vessel with the wrong things. <laughs> you're a vessel of wood and clay. You, you're a vessel into dishonor. Why? Because remember the illustration, vessels of dishonor are full of stuff you don't want to be full of. And if you allow yourself to be full of those things, you can't be used for God's honor. You have to per empty it out, clean it out. Okay? So that's how we're going to kick off this year. We're going to get in the book of Romans. We're going to talk about chapters 1, 2, and 3. Listen, by the time we're done with chapter 3, y'all are going to be like, I'm glad we're done with chapter 3. Let's move on to some good stuff because I'm, you know, okay. But at the end of March, and you might want to mark it on your calendars, March starting on Sunday, March 23rd, through Wednesday, March 26th, we're planning our spring Bible conference. And it's going to be a blast, like it always is. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've already talked to a, several pastor friends of mine that are going to come with people from their churches as well. And we're just going to have a good old time. I mean, it's just going to be a time in the Word of God and refreshing, and it's going to be awesome. By the time the end of March rolls around, y'all be so sick of the winter. I mean, it's just, let's just come on in church and just warm each other up, you know, like logs on a fire. 
I've invited Mark Trotter to come back. He's going to come back and preach for us. And I've been praying for a long time. And I told him, I said, Mark, here's the theme. We're we're just going to do old-fashioned revival. We're just going to do, we're just going to talk about holiness. Whatever happened to holiness, by the way? You know, we got too cool for holiness. We got a little modern for holiness, you know what I mean? And Listen, you can, you can be holy or not, and it doesn't matter if you're wearing blue jeans or if you're wearing a three-piece suit. It doesn't matter if your hair is long or short. I, I'm, it's not about those things. It's about your heart. And we're just going to clear off space. We're going to talk about holiness. You know why? Because I think God wants us to purge ourselves and be vessels unto honor. That's what he wants for us, and that's what I expect. So what are the these that it refers to? Well, certainly it refers to some sinful behavior. It's got to go, y'all. It's just got to go. But I think it refers to something else. Because when it says these in the context, I think it's really referring to carnal believers. It's referring to carnal believers. Look back at at what it says. In a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, what are the these? These are the vessels. If you find yourself having made good choices, if you find yourself doing well and bringing honor to God, if you find yourself in the word of God and not full of yourself in pride and humbly serving and willing to do these things to bring righteousness and honor to the name of the Lord, you are really in the battle. You are doing the right things. But you continue to surround yourself with others who refuse to do so. It's going to bring you down. Can I tell you? Seriously. Let me, let, me, let me bring the chair over here. I'm going to talk to you all over here for a second. Talk to everybody. I'm going to sit over here while I do it. All right, y'all. Younger folks, let me tell you something. This is, this is good advice, I promise. When you first get saved, okay, the first big challenge in your life is you have a lot of friends who aren't saved. And they're your friends. Shortly into your new life in Christ, you find that you have new desires and you want to do what's right and you want to serve the Lord and you want to stop doing the sinful things that maybe you had been doing with your friends. That happened to me. I know it's true. And so you're, you're in a conflict. You're in a conflict because I, I love my friends, but man, they don't love the Lord and what they want to do, I, I used to do, I don't want to do that anymore. And so there comes a time when you need to separate from your old friends or they will bring you down if you have not done that yet by the way it will happen naturally you don't have to be the mean guy you don't have to go and say get out of my life you heathen please don't do that you just love the lord and joyfully talk about the lord and your friends will either get saved with you which is the greatest or get tired of hearing it and they will leave and you don't have to be the one who leaves but you allow that to happen. It's a natural separation. That's a challenge. That's a tough challenge, okay? If you can do that, maybe some of you are saying, I've done that and I've experienced that. That is tough, but I get it. You're right. Thank you. (laughs) Let me tell you the second challenge. If you have passed the first one, if you have passed the first one and you find yourself surrounded with God-fearing Christian people, okay, young or old, I'm going to move my chair over here now, okay? We're still talking to y'all, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to include these folks now, okay? Because y'all, no matter what age we are, 
if you don't pass the second and the second challenge is this. Now I got, I've been a Christian a while and I got Christian friends. But there comes a point in your life where you realize, wow, God is really growing me. God is using me. God is changing me. God is giving me new things and new challenges and, and I'm responding. And my buds in Christ that we used to pray together and we used to study together and we used to serve together, somewhere along the line, my friends decided that's enough, I'm done here. And they're not turning their back on Jesus altogether. They show up in church or they'll say the right things. But they're not serving the Lord. They're not interested. They're not going to keep walking with you anymore. They're not going to keep wanting to go further and trust God more and sacrifice more. They don't want to do that anymore. And there comes a time when their life is carnal. And you're trying real hard for yours not to be. And you need to purge yourself from them too. There needs to come a time of natural separation where vessels of honor in contact with vessels of dishonor make dirty the vessels of honor. You see that? That applies to all of us. It really, and, and the second test of separation is way harder than the first one. Way harder. Let me just tell you. I have lost, I don't want to think about it. I get emotional. I have lost good, good friends, good friends who won't walk with the Lord. They just won't. I love them as people. If they ever come back to the Lord, I can't, I pray for them all the time. I cannot, I cannot walk with them anymore. I cannot. They'll bring me down. You want to be a vessel unto honor? You need to purge yourself. You need to purge your, your own life of your sinful behavior that maybe are taking place if God points it out to you. But who are your friends, man? Who are the vessels around you? Your pals, the guys that won't do what's right and you're trying to do what's right? That's going to be a problem, man. I'm just telling you. That's going to be a real, real problem. Let me give you some references for that quickly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6 tells us that we need to, God tells us that we need to withdraw ourselves from any brother, brother in Christ if that brother walks disorderly. Now, before you go crazy with that, let me just say, this is not the time to do this Bible study. I have done this Bible study, okay? You have to define biblically what it means to be disorderly. You can't just take that word disorderly and apply it to whatever you think you want to apply it to. You have to be very, very careful. So if you want to do the Bible study, go home and track the word order. What are the things that are orderly? And find the people that are doing that. And what you will find, very, very quick answer is, okay, that the things that are defined biblically as orderly are the things that are defined in context of the local church assembly and the things that we do with an order and a structure. So if you have brothers that you know who are not walking according to the order and the structure set forth in the assembly of the believers, then you are to withdraw yourself from them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a whole first part of that chapter. It's a long story about some very wicked, evil behavior, fornication, okay? And it makes that, in that passage, it makes it very, very clear that you are not to associate yourself with brothers who might behave that way. You're to purge out, verse 7 says, the old leaven. 
In verse 9, it says, not to company with brothers who are, and it gives a list, fornicators, covetous, idolaters, railers, drunkards, extortioners. Do yourself a favor and look up those words. It doesn't say, and it makes it very clear, I'm not telling you to disassociate yourself from lost people that do that because that's what lost people do. (laughs) Because otherwise we'd have to ditch out of the world. We wouldn't even exist anymore. No, we have to reach those people. But if a person has crossed the threshold and says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and continues to live in this list of of evil behavior and you're aware of it, Don't hang around with that person. I mean, let them do it on their own time. Let them do it in their own space, but don't let them do it on your time and in your space. That's what it says. Verse 13, put away from yourselves that wicked person. Romans 16, verse 17. Here's another application. Mark them that cause divisions. And in the context of the divisions, he's talking about things that are contrary to the doctrine that I've taught you. And it goes on and it says, avoid them. Avoid those guys. So if you know people who are divisive, if you know people who are constantly argumentative, if you know people who constantly are the types that will bring up contrary doctrine to the doctrine you have been taught, if you know people that constantly get up in your space and want to divide brothers from brothers based on doctrinal teaching, Okay, just avoid those people. It goes on in verse 18, and it says, with good words and fair speeches, these people will deceive the hearts of the simple. God hates that. Just think in your mind. You ever known anybody like that? (laughs) I have. They pop up all the time. And I just can't tolerate them. I just can't stand it. God loves for his people to be unified together in the unity of the faith and in the peace and love of the Holy Spirit. Somebody works their way into the middle and somehow eloquently, intelligently, with good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple, causing divisions among the brethren. Avoid that person. It doesn't say beat them up. It doesn't say cuss them out. Just avoid them. Just get yourself some new friends, man. It's easy. You know what? I I believe, truly, that God has been purging our church. I do. And I think that we are stronger than ever. I think that we are in a better position than than we've ever been in since I've been here. I do. I, I think that we're... We're, we're better positioned and prepared to go and do great things for the Lord than we ever have before, but there's yet more. We've got to do more. There's still yet work to be done. The question that you have to ask yourself is, will I cooperate with that? Am I going to be one of the ones cooperating, or am I going to rebel against this? If a man therefore purge himself from these, he'll be a vessel unto honor. A man. If a man. Any man. Whosoever will, each of you makes your own decision. If a man, therefore, purge himself, it could be you. You just have to decide. So what do we do? We purge, okay? What else? We have to be prepared. That's the next point. We have to be purged from these things, and we have to be prepared. 
where it goes on and it says, meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Let me start with that last phrase. Every good work. Every good work. We go back to our illustration. Historically, great house, vessels of gold and silver, vessels of wood and earth. Is it not accurate that if you wanted to use a vessel of gold and silver to take out the trash, that you could do that? You could do that. But you could not take the vessel of wood or earth and serve drinking water in it. Couldn't do it. Because the vessel unto dishonor is only good for a couple of things. But a vessel unto honor is good for every single use that the master might want to choose to use it for. And that's what God wants from us. God wants us to be prepared unto every good work, not just some. The body of Christ should not be full of specialists. I'm a specialist in evangelism. I'm a specialist in counseling. I'm a specialist in children's ministry. I'm a specialist in member care. I'm a specialist in whatever. But I don't do the other stuff. That's for other guys. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. Let me remind you, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, verses many of you are very well acquainted with. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable, right? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Not just some, not just a few, not just every so often, unto all good works, right? And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be prepared for every single good work that he might need for us to do, right? So that might be evangelism, teaching, discipleship, shepherding, caring, serving, loving, encouraging, counseling, comforting, discerning, defending, leading, organizing, interceding, enduring, whatever they might be. You should be prepared for that good work. You should be prepared for that. The word meet means suitable, appropriate, suitable. That's what it means. God gave to Adam when he made the woman and help meet for him. Woman was made to be a suitable helper for the man. M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. Okay? That's what meet means. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 that we read in verse 17, it says, throughly furnished, prepared. That's literally what it means. Prepared, furnished, suitable, appropriate for every good work. So here at First Baptist Church, we have what we call the path of growth, okay? And, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about it. If you were here with us last Sunday night, I talked about it a lot, okay? And it's out on the walls in the, in the lobby on your way out. You can see those four big circles, and there they are, okay? So we talked about how this path, and last Sunday night when we talked about the path, let me just say this. They were given 
in greater description of what they all mean, okay, but, but maybe more importantly, in the context of how people following the path, which is biblically defensible, and we did that last week, people following this path are giving real results, statistical results, in real growth and development and outreach in this church body. That's available for you. By the way, this is something that the pastors of this church have given to you to give order to how we structure our ministries. And you want to be orderly. Okay? So this is the path that we've given you. This is something that we have developed to help prepare you so that you can then be a vessel unto honor, so that you can be prepared unto every good work. Understand this. Our goal, not just First Baptist Church, any church that wants to follow what God says, our goal is not to have a big church. Do you understand that? Is our church big? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some folks would say, your church is huge. Other people would say, no, not so big. Our goal is not to have a big church. Our goal is to reach the world with the gospel. That's our goal. It's the Great Commission. That's the commission God gave to the church. And some churches can be very healthy with fewer people, and some can be very healthy with more people. It's not a matter of the numbers. But God was serious when he gave us the Great Commission. And God seriously expects us to carry that commission out. He gave the commission to whom? He gave it to the local church. And he gave local church pastors to lead the local church. You know what that means? My job description, among other things, is to make sure that I keep you aware of the goal. (laughs) My job is to make sure that you always have the vision of the world in front of you. Not me, and what are they doing for me, and how can this be better for me, and if it doesn't scratch where I itch, then I'm not interested because it's all about me. We are here to serve a world who are dying and on their way to hell, and every year, another year clicks off, and more people are dropping off into a Christless eternity. That's what God left us here for. That's what we're going to do. Now, not everybody loves that, and some of those people just don't want to hang around a church that talks about that all the time, but that's who we are. And so just get used to it. <laughs> How are we going to achieve that? Well, there's an expression that people who know me, who've been in my office, it's written on my whiteboard. I use it. I talk about it all the time. And the expression is this. That here, what we're going to do is we're going to use ministry to build men. We're going to use ministry to build men. Now, there's a lot of churches out there that have a strategy. They may not say it this way. But what they do is they interchange those words. They use men to build ministry. And what they'll do is they'll go out and they will hire the most talented people that they can find. And they will build the coolest ministry you've ever seen. And, and, they, and I mean, it will put on quite the show. It is the typical, not always, typical strategy of what we would consider to be mega churches. Okay? And what happens is they hire the most talented people they can find. They put on the greatest show they, fu- they can find. They make the service as cool and smooth as they possibly can, and they spend a lot of time and money and effort doing that with the intention, and it, they're, listen, their intentions are good, to bring people in 
Do you understand that God never told us to make a cool church service to bring people in, but he told us to get ready to go out? Do you understand that? We have to get back to the basics of what God says. And we have to prepare men, I mean mankind men, men and women, that will be willing to do that. And we have a path, and if you are on the path and progressing through the path, you will grow, and you will prepare, and you will find yourself reaching people. It works. It has been working. It will continue to work. Why? Because it's biblical, and God set it up that way. Listen, this last week, 15 of us were in Kansas City at this missions conference, and Three guest speakers at various times. I mean, these guys were rattling off quotes that were just very memorable. They were just things that would stick with you. I jotted down a bunch of them. We were talking about it on Friday night together. And I'm going to read just a couple of them that stuck with me to you, okay? Just because it goes with what we're talking about. So, you know, only steal from the best. So we got this from these guys this week. It was awesome. Not everyone is called to the mission field, but everyone ought to struggle with the possibility. Not everyone's called to the mission field, but every one of you ought to wrestle inside of yourself whether or not you might be that one who is. How about this? I love this. The gospel, it means good news, right? The gospel is only good news if it reaches the lost in time. If we don't get to the gospel before, the gospel of somebody before they die, it's too late. It's only good news if you get it to them in time. And the last one I'll give you today is this. We don't determine the spiritual strength of a church based on its seating capacity. We determine the spiritual strength of a church based on its sending capacity. We use ministry to train men. And and that's what you're going to see more and more of here at First Baptist Church. You're going to see young men and women who come through our system, who are learning and being trained, given more and more opportunities, not only of service, but of leadership and responsibility. Because they are preparing themselves for even greater things. We will not as a matter of strategy, as a matter of principle, we will not be three or four or five staff pastor professionals that do it all for you. We will not. Our job is to lead you. Our job is to mentor these people. My, our job is to grow everyone up so that we all do the work of the ministry and glorify God because our goal is not a big church. Our goal is to reach this world with the gospel. If that does not interest you, you will not be happy here. <laughs> you will get uncomfortable. You're, listen, you're welcome. Everybody's always welcome. We've got room. There's room to sit. Come. You probably won't love it, though, because that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to push. If we've been pushing too hard and it bugs you, sorry. We're going to do it. That's who we are. It's us. You know, I'm like the parent of little kids. It's for your good. <laughs> I'm trust, it's, trust me, it's for your good. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what we want to do. The only way we're going to reach the world is to send people out of here and start new churches and start new works and send missionaries out. The only way that we're going to have a part in literally doing what God expects, God expects it. 
we must take it seriously. Is we have to prepare people so that when they go, they're actually ready. They know what they're doing. By the way, you may not understand, I do, what it takes to start a new church. Let me tell you real quickly what it takes to start a new church. Besides prayer and all the good spiritual stuff, let me, let me, let me just make it real easy. It takes some people who are prepared unto every good work. Because when you start something new, ain't a whole lot of folks out around there to help. And if you're the pioneer church planner, guess who's doing everything for a while? It's you. So we need to prepare some people now who can do that now so they can go and they can be successful. That's how every church ever started. Don't we want to do that? So in 2014, that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to pursue this goal that God has left to us. We want to honor him with our lives. We are going to do that by being suitable for every good work that he may ask of us. We get to that point by preparing ourselves along this path that we have provided for you. Listen, 2013 was awesome. It was. God did some amazing things, and he's brought us to a great spot, and, and he's done some amazing things in the lives of many of you. I'm so excited. I, I really, really am. And he's continuing to position us such that we can continue to do even more and really impact the world. And it, literally, if, if that interests you, man, you're in the right place. This is awesome. Join with us, and let's go do that. Maybe you're here, and you're just like, look, this sounds interesting, but I I don't know, I even understand. And, and maybe truly you're here and you're just like, look, I, I'm not even sure that I know I'd have eternal life. Can I just tell you, all this is about is to get the good news to people like you. Jesus loves you. You're still breathing free air and he brought you in this room so that you could hear how much he loves you. And if you've never received him, you can do that today. Just open up your heart to him and confess your sin and ask him to save you and he will. But most of us have already done that. And maybe God put his finger on your heart today. Maybe God made clear to you some purging that's necessary. And you'd say, oh, man, I know I'm saved, but I'm a little dirty. And by God's grace, I'm gonna surrender it all to him now. Let's just remember the verses that we have. In a great house, listen, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Some to honor, some to dishonor. Don't say, hey, somebody's got to do the dishonor thing. Might as well be me. No. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Let's pray together.